are listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, May the 26th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to look at a specific parable that will really help us to understand what I have been talking about kind of frequently during the last couple of weeks, and that is how we interpret the Bible. It's called hermeneutics. And there's kind of three levels that I have been told to use, and I'm using them. Level one, level two, level three. Level one is just looking at the words. What does the word say? Level two is the meaning of the word. Uh, For example, you may look at the word Israel, but that has a number of meanings in the Bible. It can mean the country of Israel. It can mean the Jewish people. It can mean believers. It can mean the Holy Christian Church. So you have to look at the context to discover the meaning. But that still isn't sufficient. Uh, By the time you get through step one and two, you've probably given a pretty good lecture, but you still haven't given a sermon. Because the sermon then applies it to the hearers. And so this is really important that in parables, we want to take a look at the application of the parable. Why was the parable spoken? We're going to listen to an email that I received. Uh, Pastor Baker, may I ask you to explain to me the meaning of Matthew 25, 14, to 30. Now, that parable is often referred to as the parable of the talents. And it's about a man who leaves on a trip and he leaves behind with three servants money so that they can do business in the marketplace. He comes back and checks out what they have done. So that's Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Email, am I correct to understand when Christ returns, he will judge Christians by what we have done with our money? Now, the email says verse 26, but I think what they really mean is verse 27. It says, in talking to the one servant that buried his money, so... You ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Uh, From the one who buried it, the farmer does not receive anything. And so the question is, boy, if we are found to have not invested our money wisely by properly tithing, are we to lose our salvation? And, And that's what happens with that individual. He loses his salvation. The email writer goes on, my pastor used this as a text for his sermon today and referenced the passage where Christ speaks of laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. He then told a story about a man going to heaven who was disappointed about how little reward he had as compared to others in heaven. He lived in a bungalow 
while others lived in mansions. Does this mean that there will be envy and disappointment in heaven? I listened to Law and Gospel by podcast, and I have tried to look at this Matthew 25 passage with common sense and then reverse it, but I still can't seem to find the right Law and Gospel answer. I know you are extremely busy. Any insight you could offer or reference materials you might recommend would be greatly appreciated. And then he signs the email. So what are we going to do with this particular parable? It certainly appears that this parable, particularly since it's called the parable of the talents, is a parable about what are you going to do with the gifts God has given you? In fact, I remember when I was kind of growing up in the church I was at, uh, the term talent meant, well, you all have received certain gifts. Have you used your talents to the glory of God? Now, actually, the term talent really refers to the money that was given by the owner who was going on a trip. To the first servant, he gave five talents. To the second, two And to the third, he gave one. And it says, according to his ability. Now, you need to understand that this parable is using earthly circumstances and is going to be pointing to heavenly ideas. So what are we speaking about here? There is a problem in the translation. Because when the owner returns after a trip away, he goes to receive the profit that he should be getting from the servants who have been given the money. So he, had, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made them five talents more. So... He says in verse 20, chapter 25 of Matthew, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, and this is where it's a bad translation, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he says. Well, guess what? And this is why you need a pastor who knows the original Greek and Hebrew. The word done is not in the original. It's not that the word well isn't there. Well, good and faithful servant. But the word done isn't there. When you had the word done... That's something that you have done. It's talking about the verb to do. And that's why I believe many people get this all messed up. They look at the word done and they think that the owner is complimenting the servants who made money because of what they had done. But listen more carefully to verse 21. His master said to him, Well, good and faithful servant, 
you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, first thing I want to say is this is talking about our life here on earth. That there's no doubt if we are faithful in what God has given us, then here on earth we will receive an abundance of blessings. Now, we're not sure what those blessings are. Sometimes it can be an illness which moves us to be closer to God in prayer. So we can't say you're just going to have a a wonderful life, uh, free of illness, free of tragedy, free of suffering. But the point that the owner is making is he's complimenting the two who went into the marketplace and earned more money, not for what they had done, but for what they had believed. Now, what does that mean? You see, to be faithful means that you trust the owner. What is there about the two that made a profit for him in contrast to the one who buried the money in the ground? You see, the one who buried the money in the ground First of all, he has a totally wrong view of the owner. He doesn't believe that the owner may return. In fact, this parable is told in another location in Luke where there's no doubt that the owner goes away to receive a kingdom, and there was an individual who had done that, gone to Rome, and he was assassinated. So there was quite a possibility that the owner might not return. So why did that one servant bury his money in the ground? Well, first of all, he wouldn't be able to spend it for his master. And if his master did not return, guess what? He was able to keep it. And nobody would know the wiser because he had buried it. In fact, the attitude of that individual is really, really clear as you go through the parable. For example, he also who had received the one talent, that's verse 24, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, lazy. You knew that I reap where I am not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? See, if that was your opinion of me, which, by the way, is false, Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So he orders that the talent be taken from him, given to the one who has 10 talents. And then cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Now, what I've just said about this parable has a totally different understanding than what many people imagine. They see the word talent, and if they recognize it as money, then it seems this parable is talking about how well you spend your money for me, God says, will decide whether you're going to be in a shack in heaven or in a mansion. I I can't believe a Christian pastor ever gave that story because the email writer really has a proper understanding when he says very clearly that does this mean that there will be envy and disappointment in heaven? See, that's what you have to come to the conclusion when the pastor says that the man who goes to heaven is disappointed with how little reward he has and compared to others in heaven who are living in mansions and he's only in a small bungalow. That is a terrible motivation for people to give a tithe. And if you've been listening to me over the years, you will believe I do not believe in tithing. You don't believe in giving money to church? No, no, I didn't say that. I I don't believe in the tithe. If you ask most people, if you were to give a tithe, boy, will you get different opinions. Uh, How much is a tithe? Most people will say 10%. And according to the book of Leviticus, that is correct if you're dealing with animals or with grain. But if you're dealing with after you have sold those animals and grain, then it appears that the Hebrew says you either give 12% or 20%. So a tithe is much bigger than that. Then you get conversations, well, am I to give a tithe on my gross amount or on my net account, net amount? And then you start arguing about that. No, the tithe is actually a ceremonial law. And we are no longer under the ceremonies of the Old Testament. That is proven by Peter's vision on the roof when a big blanket comes down filled with unclean meat. God says, eat. Peter says, I will never eat meat that is not appropriate to eat, that is unclean. And God says, what I have declared to be clean do not say is unclean. So what we have here is an understanding that the tithe is not necessary. I have had people in my congregation on welfare and they weren't able to give a tithe, but they were giving very generously from what they had. And then I had some individuals who gave over a tithe of of what they had earned. So nobody is bound to a tithe in, in the sense of what you are to give. I always like talking about that incident where Jesus sees the widow who gives a hundred percent. Now, why does she give a hundred percent? That's more than a tithe. Well, she does that because she trusts in God to take care of her. See, this is how you understand parables. Don't be looking 
for what appears to be something that the individuals in the parable have done, which gets them a compliment, but be looking for what they have believed. And that means that in this particular parable, the owner is complimenting them not for their deed, but for their faithfulness. Now, when you're faithful, you will obey and do the deeds of God. But even when you sin, you may do the deeds of God by repenting of that sin. So we don't want to give the impression at all that this parable is going to decide how wonderful heaven is for you, depending on the amount of how you're using your money here on earth. No. Even if you use it in a sinful way and you are a believer, God forgives that, does not hold you accountable for that, and you are in total bliss when you are in heaven. So that's really an important point to make clear. This parable, therefore, isn't talking about how you invest your money, but is talking about do you believe the promises of God? And and therefore, we therefore use what God has given us, namely our funds, our talents, etc., to the best of our ability to his glory. And, And remember, he doesn't give the same to each person here on earth. For example, Uh, Those of us who are pastors have been given the gift of understanding the original languages of the Bible and therefore making proper application of them. Whereas uh, someone who may be very old and losing their memory, they may not have the gifts that a full-time pastor has, but they are using their gifts in praying for others phoning others to comfort them, etc. So it's not being able to look and see how much you make or how well you're doing where God is going to make a distinction. So it's really sad that stewardship sermons are some of the worst I hear of because the pastor thinks it is his goal to try and persuade the people to do what? to give as much as they can in order that God is pleased with them. No, the fact of the matter is God is already pleased with you. What, because of your works? No, but you have trusted in the message of Jesus Christ. And so this idea that there's gonna be envy and disappointment in heaven because you didn't do enough here on earth is really quite ridiculous. It is a sermon of law telling you, well, here's what you gotta do in order to have a nice place in heaven. I guarantee you, when we meet you in heaven, you will be pleased with whatever you have been given. You will be in total bliss, and you will be taking a look, therefore, at what God has given you by grace, through faith, on account of Jesus Christ. Now, the email writer talks about how I had spoken, 
how you look at a passage in Bible and then kind of reverse it, and you'll have God's meaning for it. Now, how does that work here? Well, the common interpretation is how you handle the money God has given you will decide how wonderful you're going to feel in heaven. Just read the text. That's what it sounds like. But of course, that's because they add a word that's not in the Greek, namely the word done, that by doing something, you're going to be more blessed in heaven than those who don't do it. That is wrong. So you reverse it. How do you reverse it? It's not my use of money that will make a difference of where I'm going to be in heaven. It's instead my faithfulness to the promises of God. Therefore, in this day and age, what with the virus, a lot of individuals have lost their job. I really feel sorry for waitresses. Well, we used to go almost every week with friends of ours to a Chinese restaurant. And of course, you would go down about 20 different lines uh, with food on them, and then you would serve yourself, put it in your own plate, etc. Well, guess what? That stopped. The restaurant has closed, and all of the workers there lost their jobs. Now, those who are Christian will know that God had a purpose in that, and that he will still take care of us. In fact, I was just talking, uh, we had some uh, trees cut down at our house recently because we were afraid they're going to fall on our roof and make more holes in the roof. And uh, we hired a really good crew, uh, three people, and they were complaining that it was really hard to get people to work for them, even though they're out of work. And I asked why, and they said, well, the government's giving them so much extra money because they're unemployed that it's not really worth them going to work. They're not going to make that much more. And so once more, it goes back to my teaching that when a politician makes a law, he not only should put down, well, here are the benefits of this law, but also here are the disadvantages. For example, why can't we move everybody in fast food restaurants up to a salary of $50 an hour? I'll tell you why. Because there are certain places that will fire their people because they can't hire people at that much. And then you've got some of them now who are using ways in which you phone in and get your meal ready so they don't even hardly need anybody to serve you there. Maybe one or two people just to put together the meal and you walk in and it's already been paid for uh, through your phone and you pick up the meal and walk out. And that means a loss of workers even there. So, Laws are really important, but there are advantages and there are always disadvantages to every law that is made.
And so it needs to be very careful what you're doing there. So we wanted to take a look at one of the emails. And this email, by the way, does appear in the new book that I have published and am sending out. It's called Selected Emails that were sent to Law and Gospel. There's 400 of them. Uh, the book is 144 pages long. And all you do is, if you'd like it, there's a cost of $15, but you don't have to pay it. You just send me a note saying you want the book. We'll send you the book with a bill. And after you get the book, then you can pay for the bill. And the way to get it is to email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Put down your name and your address. We'll send you the book and the bill. And it's selected 400 emails written to Law and Gospel. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, which is Thursday, with Wes Reimnitz, we're going to be sharing with you what a so-called pastor says about Jesus. I guarantee you will be shocked to hear what is being taught these days. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.